Hello listeners, episode 250 of Retro Encounter is on the horizon, and we are doing a mailbag episode. Please send emails to the address retro at rpgfan.com, and on episode 250 we will read aloud and respond to as many emails as we can. The questions can be whatever you like, but we especially want recommendations for games to play on the podcast, because we will be choosing one game suggestion from episode 250 for a Retro Encounter episode later this year. Now here is the latest episode of Retro Encounter. Hello and welcome to episode 242 of Retro Encounter, RPG fans off-topic podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and today we are here to talk about uh, Yakuza 0 again and going all the way to the end game. Uh, one dragon of Dojima dies, so another may live, except that no one actually dies, except when Kir- Kiryu is shooting people on in the head in the highway a lot. No, they all live. Oh, they all survive. Okay, okay. They're the they're the Batman, uh, Dark Knight Rises, uh, Sleepy Time bullets. No, they're fine. They all just tuck and roll and jump out of their cars. It's good. All right. So so when I was semi casually shooting conservatively twenty five people in the head, there was no intent to kill, and all of them survived. Got it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, so listeners, those voices that you heard a, a moment ago alongside mine were Jonathan Logan. Hello. Robert Steinman. I thought we were talking about the Demon Souls remaster. What's what's going on here? And Joe Padilla. I uh, I also want to talk about Demon Souls. <laughs> okay. Um, talk to me after. New, Mike, get you Mike, on random. Okay. New okay? new uh, new plan. This is no longer a Yakuza podcast. This is a Ratchet and Clank uh, Rift Apart podcast. Excellent. Can, can so we, what are we calling Mike, that female lombax at the end? Ratchet. Mike. Or femme Mike. ratchet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, can we? Before we start talking about the Yakuza, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can 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 I get you to agree to play the Demon Souls remaster when it comes out, and we will do a podcast <laughs> uh, retro encounter? Uh, I will not agree to that immediately. I will strongly consider it. Uh, a Demon Souls re-release is a good candidate for a retro encounter episode about it, but uh, for budget reasons and I can't predict the future reasons, I don't know if I'll get that or even have a PS5 to play it on. Uh, when the time comes. But that is a really good idea. Um, I, I will add it to the big Google Doc in the sky. But for now, we are going to talk about Yakuza 0. Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, folks, when we last recorded, uh, we talked about Kamurocho and Sotenbori a lot and the mini games and side quests within a lot. But we avoided the main story a little bit. And I think that. Um, I mean, that, that that wasn't a wrong choice necessarily, but it's something that we really can't ignore this episode because it became very clear to me, especially at the end of the game, that this is um, less a story about Kiryu and Majima and more a story about sort of, like, who they become. And and uh, what happens in 1988 sets them on different paths to the characters we're more familiar with in Yakuza 1 onwards. 
uh, like sort of coming to a head in the uh, in one of the forty-five cutscenes at the end of the game. Uh, <laughs> each each of them uh, puts puts on their famous costume that they're more well known for in the main in the main series Yakuza games. So like like this is like sort of making the Yakuza in, for uh, for several chapters, and a lot of it has to do with who uh, Kiryu and Majima meet and sort of clash with throughout the story with the most important of which being someone that I'm not even sure we mentioned in the previous episode. And that's Makoto. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure we mentioned Makoto in the previous episode or we barely glossed over her. You're probably right. We, we, yeah. I don't think we mentioned her. <laughs> she's kind of important. Um, you know, a bold statement. I know, but she's kind of important. If not like the focal point of a lot of the story, uh, because I mean, we mentioned, we know that Yakuza Zero is in part a game about real estate. It's like it's this weird uh, economic excess time in Japan, and they're trying to redevelop part of downtown. Uh, but the th- the one obstacle in the way of the redevelopment is no is no one knows who owns this empty lot, and it turns out that a young woman named Makoto inherited it from her grandfather. So, around the middle, either chapter three or four. Um, which is, uh, I think it's chapter four, one of the Majima chapters, he's told to assassinate Makoto uh, Makimura um, by, his, uh, by his handler, Sagawa, who's, uh, who, who's not even part of the Dojima family. Sagawa is an Omi Alliance Yakuza who is working as Majima's handler while Majima's working at the Grand. Majima thinks Makoto is the name of a man who, is a, uh, who runs a prostitution ring, but when he, goes to, when he, when he locates him slash her, because it's a young woman named Makoto, uh, he finds a blind masseuse who has a, a, a very sort of, you know, sweet temperament, I think. Like, Makoto almost is too harmless-seeming for, like, the first two-thirds of the game. From then on, a lot of the thrust of Yakuza 0 is Majima protecting Makoto, Kiryu trying to save himself and his, bo- and his boss, Kazama, and sort of these two... Ta- these two paths running parallel and intertwining a bit. So what do we think about, I don't know, like the middle chapters of Yakuza 0? Like, like the, the, because I think this is, even if you threw out all the good stuff about the cities and the minigames and the variety, it's still a pretty good crime drama story. I think the crime drama story is very, very good. Um, if you know a little bit about where the Yakuza games eventually go, you know that the vacant lot... I, I, somebody correct me if I'm wrong here. The vacant lot eventually becomes the Millennium Tower. Mm-hmm. Well, a small uh, part of it. Right, yes. exactly. It's, uh, they don't just have this giant spire that's like a <laughs> foot big. But, like, but that leads to the Millennium Tower, which is where a lot of the major action in Yakuza ends up happening at some point. It's sort of think of it as kind of like Yakuza's version of the Temple of Time in Zelda, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, in the uh, in one of those end game scenes, there's a bunch of "Where are they now?" kind of uh, statements, and one of them is that the the area surrounding the empty lot becomes the Millennium Tower, even though I don't know what that what it meant necessarily. You will be spending a lot of time at the Millennium Tower if you play uh, more Yakuza games, and and yeah, I think the the crime drama is is really good. Uh, we mentioned it in the previous podcast, but having played this and then Yakuza one, two, and three, it was almost jarring to have something that was so well told in Yakuza zero, and then to go to Yakuza one and Yakuza two, which are a little bit more. I don't 
don't know if juvenile is the right word, but it it just doesn't flow quite as well. Yeah, um, and, uh, Yakuza Zero was made in between Yakuza Five and Six, so they they right. they've had a lot of practice um, with storytelling before getting to this one. It's interesting. They really hit their stride, I think, at uh, Yakuza Five in terms of their storytelling, the way that their mechanics, the way they did sub stories. I really think they figured it out at that point, and then Yakuza Zero is that almost perfected um, in terms of their storytelling abilities. And then, I mean, it is a personal opinion. I think it drops off slightly after that. But yeah, Yakuza 0 is a very impressive crime drama, even more so because the fan service isn't necessarily in the plot itself. There's fan service in like sub stories and things like that. But I mean, you guys enjoy, well, actually you just enjoyed it, Mike, uh, and you hadn't played any of the other Yakuza Mm -hmm. games. Did you feel at any point it was... Uh, dependent on knowledge of what happens? Not dependent. Um, I, I could feel winks and nods happening as they happened. And at least, I don't know, four or five times, I meet someone, they get a big dramatic entrance, whether it's in the main story or in a sub-story, and then I think to myself, oh, I bet they're a major character in, an, in a future game. Um, and and I was right every time I looked at I, I looked one of those things up. The the most uh, glaring of which was maybe you meet a uh, you meet a twelve year old boy that's bullying high school students, and uh, because this is just a mountain of a twelve year old boy, and I'm like I'm like well this is weird why why do they have a superhuman twelve year old twelve year old and then I I looked up his name on the internet and he's a major villain in Yakuza two. Um, yes, he is. And and also you meet what you meet the uh, uh, Sohei Dojima's son Daigo Dojima as a bratty little kid, and I'm like, well, I bet he grows up to be a Yakuza boss. That is a major character later, and uh, I I don't even remember which, which game it was in, but that that also is true. Just a lot of small things like that. Um, I noticed, and I could I got there were references that were escaping me, but because I went into this game with the knowledge that uh, it's a prequel made after several Yakuza games had already been made. I, I did expect things like that, and it never bothered me, but I, I could feel them happening. I, I will say, though, and we we talked about this a little bit before, I, I think that the Yakuza games have a serious problem with like the info dump at the end, and I would have liked Makoto's story to been to just have played out a little bit more over the the breadth of the entire game instead of like okay we are going to have the sit down one hour long cutscene where we explain her we explain her brother we explain why she has the lot we explain why all these people are trying to kill each other bada bing bada boom i i just think that the game i i feel like these stories would do better by having that information revealed a little bit at a time instead of like it feels like almost like the usual suspects Kaiser Soze moment. And I just, I'm not a real fan of that in fiction. I like the ability to be able to figure out the mystery on my own. And I, I do feel like Yakuza Zero, it, it, it just feels a little padded and then you get the ultimate reveal. And I, I don't know, maybe you guys disagree with me on that, but I, I had a hard time with that a little bit. I feel like it, it it still wrapped up nicely, but there definitely felt like there were moments where I was like, "There's just a massive, there's just a massive amount of information I need to, like, I need to keep a wiki on hand to just get all my ducks in a row as to who exactly these players are." Because this is getting a little, um, this is getting a little bit too complicated for me to uh, keep track of. Um, when you th- when you throw out all that information at once, rather than doling it out in smaller chunks, 
I only have so much mental real estate for remembering Japanese names, and I, I, I play a, you know, I, I play a lot of Japanese video games and read and watch Japanese things, but when you start hitting numbers in the 30s and 40s, I struggle with remembering which Japanese name is, is which. And th there's, there's a lot of names and places and moving parts to the story, which aren't always at the surface. It, so it, it became difficult to follow sometimes, but I uh, I was invested enough to to I, I tried to keep it together. I think one of the things that actually gets in the way of that for me is uh, well the sub stories and side quests, because I feel like if I played the game beginning to end, uh, paying attention to the plot the entire time, I would be able to follow it pretty well. But I take like I don't know hour and a half long chunks to do a cabaret club or to like. I don't know, find someone an energy drink. <laughs> and that really breaks the flow of the game for me. Not necessarily in a bad way, but it breaks the flow of the story. So after I get back to it, I'm like, all right, where, where was I? What was I doing? Th that's a weakness of the sort of theme park game design that a lot of games with, yeah. a, with a lot of optional content uh, have. Like it's, um, I mean, I, I think it's most glaring when I was playing uh, Final Fantasy XIV, which, which is a game that I sort of... Uh, will binge and then take a break from and then binge again. But like, like when, when you have uh, a story that is sort of pathed separately from all the stuff around it, it's very easy to, to get off the rails a little bit. And that happened to me a little bit with this game because for a large chunk of the game, uh, I think probably mostly when I was in uh, Chapter 6 and then in Chapter 10, which are both Kiryu chapters, I, for hours and hours, I would do a collection at the real estate office then go out and do something for about 10 minutes to let the collection reset and then go back to collect again. And I, I, I did the whole uh, Real Estate Royale story that way. And so basically I, I had the same story mission open for at least a dozen hours on two occasions. So it, it, it's very easy to get derailed like that. But if you can keep it straight or if you just mainline the story, I think it's a really good story. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's a. I think it it makes sense. There are a lot of characters, but like by the end of it, I don't feel like there's a lot of loose ends or forgotten plot lines. Everything's pretty tightly wound up. I, I have one story thing at the end that I'm still not sure how uh, why it went th that certain way. But uh, l let's talk about a couple story characters in particular. You meet them in chapter one, and I think they're, if not the the main villains, the three extremely important villains. Uh, there are three lieutenants uh, in the Dojima family who are sort of looming over the entire story. Uh, Kuze, Shibusawa, and Awano. And, uh, like, you meet them in Chapter 1. Kuze is the, uh, is the boss of Chapter 1, or ch uh, of, I think, Chapter 1, yeah. And, With uh, the best boss music ever. Kuze's boss so theme... Goes so hard that the boss. I, I think maybe I mentioned this previous episode, but uh, it makes the chapter one boss feel like a final boss. His, the, yes, the, it the music does. Is so yeah. good. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm going to incorporate that music somehow into this into this episode. I think. But the thing is, those three guys, uh, the Dojima family, is the biggest faction within the Tojo clan, and it's uh, what Kiryu and uh, and Nishikiyama were in, and uh, the. The, the Dojima family is, is headed by a guy named Dojima, but his captain, his second-in-command, is uh, Kiryu and, and Nishikiyami's uh, mentor, Kazama. And the three people directly under Kazama are these three lieutenants. And with Kazama being out of the picture and incarcerated, 
and this big uh, redevelopment project happening, uh, it's made very clear that those three lieutenants are gunning for Kazama's spot, which could be, you know, a, a, a pathway to being the head of the Dojima family or even the head of the whole Tojo clan. And uh, Dojima makes it clear that whoever gets him the rights to the empty lot is going to be the next captain. So those, uh, those three lieutenants, um, like, are in a power struggle, and they're sworn brothers with each other, so they're not going to fight each other or sabotage each other badly, but they're all definitely going for this, uh, uh, like, for this empty lot that both Majima and Kiryu um, become embroiled in. So, all three of them are really important, but the uh, first one that Kiryu interacts with is Kuze, who I would call maybe the most hard-boiled of the bunch, and, um, and he's the boss of Chapter 1, but you fight Kuze, I think, five times? It's, it, it's something like chapter 1 and 5 or 6 and once in 9 or 10 and once in 13 and 14 and he's the third or fourth to last boss of the game in chapter 17. You fight him five times. You, you just kick the sh** out of him a lot. <laughs> like that just, it just kept happening but it, it's one of those things where I think the Yakuza games really benefit from having a strong central villain and it, this is a, a much bigger problem in Yakuza 6, where the, the main bad guy just comes out of nowhere, and you're like, oh, okay. That's a little, it's a little bit of Final <laughs> Fantasy IX Necron. <laughs> oh, uh, it, it, it maybe <laughs> isn't that bad, but it's pretty bad. And I, I think the Yakuza games, much like you know any kind of comic book you know villainry or anything they 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 benefit from having a really strong central villain it's one of the reasons i like yakuza 2 so much and kuze is sort of the central villain in this game until he very suddenly isn't but he he serves that purpose very well i he has the strongest relationship with kuze he does and um and uh, what i find amazing about the character is his his character a lot of villains don't actually develop as characters or the development happens like all at once but in Kuze's, in Kuze's case, he kind of develops as a character with every time Kiryu kicks his ass um, until by the end of it, he's actually like a sympathetic, honorable character who you kind of like. I almost disagree. Um, I think, Ku I really? think Kuze is very consistent, and the person who's changing is Kiryu. And as Kiryu changes, Kuze is willing to treat Kiryu more like an equal. Um, Kuze is... I mean, he's still trying to manipulate the uh, the players involved here and trying to get the owner of the empty lot. But he is, I, I think he is very, very consistent to the Yakuza code. And when he screws up in Chapter 1 uh, by failing to stop Kiryu, Dojima orders him to cut off a pinky finger, and he sits down and does it. Yep. I And I think that's something that's, something that's really highlighted. And even in the story, they say this as well. Um... The three lieutenants, um, to varying degrees, are just so much more interesting than Dojima, really. Like, it's... Yeah, do do and, Dojima is almost like... Uh, I mean, Dojima seems useless compared to the three of them. He Like, Dojima yeah. doesn't do any fighting, and all three of his lieutenants are badasses. Right, and, and like, that's part of... It. Like, I, I definitely see it that was... That there was partially intentional, but it still... But it still isn't a... It still isn't a great... Uh, story beat and even in the story they say um you know uh dojima's a man who's gone past his uh intellectual or physical strengths like he's he's punching above his weight essentially yeah uh, i think dojima um is the head of the dojima clan for money reasons much more than uh than yakuza reasons or toughness reasons and and like to which point uh 
one of the final bosses, I think there's sort of two final bosses, uh, like one of them is Dojima paying someone to do his dirty work. I felt very conflicted with Dojima as I finished this game up and then almost immediately started Yakuza 1. So, you know, mm-hmm. spoilers I had for Yakuza 1, but, you know, I, I think at this point it's kind of okay. Mm-hmm. I, like, Dojima is killed at the beginning of Yakuza 1. That is what puts Kiryu in prison. It's the inciting incident. Yeah, and, and I was a little shocked because I felt like they sort of missed an opportunity to flesh Dojima out more and they're kind of keeping him as like almost a faceless entity if you had just played yakuza 1 you would just know that you you you, uh kiryu is put away in prison because he he apparently shot this guy who just has a wicked sick perm and it's like okay we I, i was looking forward to yakuza 0 maybe giving us more insight into him and it really doesn't other than he's just backing up and letting his lieutenants run roughshod over everything and I, I felt like that was a little bit of a missed opportunity, but then I think you could also run into the Anakin Skywalker problem of fleshing him out so much that then his death in Yakuza 1 feels meaningless. In Yakuza 1, I do like that he kind of that he kind of dies so early on, but I wish that there was more... They would show more, a little bit more of him being having this sort of fall from grace because, you know... At, for most of Yakuza 0, he is the most powerful man in the Tojo clan, essentially. You know, not in title, but with the money he brings in, the influence he has, he's essentially the most powerful one. And with uh, with Yakuza 1, he's this sort of... Uh, he's disgusting, and he's pathetic, and he's still... He still runs the, you know, he still runs the family and such, but he's not as powerful as he used to be. And there's, um, it's cool to see kind of the beginning of his, uh, of the lessening of his power, and then kind of to see um, him participating in a really despicable act and having uh, kind of justice being brought on him for that. I think the events at the end of Yakuza Zero broke him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they wanted. That's what every that's what their aim. It was to absolutely break him and to break his hold on the clan. So they would still, you know, have his have his support, I guess you could say, but his ambitions would be uh forever stunted. And I think that actually contributes to one of the reasons why he uh I mean, this is just my this is just how I interpret it, but after playing Yakuza Zero, I actually questioned maybe that's why he specifically went after Yumi in Yakuza and Yakuza oh. One because oh. Because he he can't go after Kiryu. And maybe at some point he just broke and he said, I can hurt him this way. And then he made a big mistake. Yeah, that goes into what I think is the most puzzling part of the ending. Um, for much of the game, uh, Kiryu is at odds with the Dojima clan. He, uh, he leaves the Dojima clan in Chapter 1 to try and uh, have his mistake, which isn't really a mistake, he's being framed for murder, but trying to get that uh, murder charge off of Kazama because as Kazama's uh, as being one of Kazama's guys it, it reflects poorly on Kazama that uh, Kiryu got uh, busted with this murder charge um, and he thinks by quitting the Yakuza that'll wipe the charge away from Kazama which it doesn't but so he leaves the Dojima is being hunted down by the Dojima and fighting the Dojima left and right he beats up two thirds of the Dojima lieutenants and at the end, after chapter scene, after chapter seventeen, and before the credits roll, he rejoins the Dojima clan. It's like really, 
is Dojima himself and all the other people that Kiryu just beat the living tar out of for several days just going to welcome him back and let him become a legend within the Dojima? I, I didn't understand that. I thought that like maybe Kazama would form a new clan and Kiryu would be one of its lieutenants or something, or like, like Kiryu and Nishiki both would, or, or even Kashiwagi becoming a captain of something and him working under, under Kashiwagi, who, who's, uh, and Kashiwagi is, um, uh, Kazama's uh, second in command, basically. But like, I never understood that. And like, like they, they communicate that Dojima is, like you guys said, uh, punching above his weight, and maybe some of his power is unearned. Um, but I, I don't know why they would communicate that and still have Kiryu rejoin. I never understood that. In my mind, it was to keep an eye on him and to make sure that he didn't try anything because he, I imagine if Kiryu is just below him and he eliminated all three lieutenants, uh, I mean, he's kind of a deterrent at that point. But that's just how I interpret it. I agree with you, Mike, that it's a little awkward where he becomes a member of the Dojima family again at the end of it. But I, I guess that if Kiryu wasn't put into place, that the Dojima family would be impossibility of collapsing considering they just lost all of their lieutenants. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was, he was just going to be a stabilizing factor. Yeah, I, I kind of took it as um, my wife is making me watch Firefly right now, so I have to do my Firefly slam right now. It's like why they keep Jane around in Firefly when he's just a terrible human being and keeps screwing them over. Or, you know, uh, to go a little bit more old school, it's why they keep around Dr. Smith in uh, old school Lost in Space. Like, oh, yes, we're going to keep around this very shifty-looking <laughs> dude. Like, it, it just it, it feels like... a they need to get Kiryu back in the Dojima clan to then get kicked out of the Dojima clan and go to prison. And I agree. It is very abrupt, but I did kind of take it as he is becoming, I mean, Kiryu eventually attains paladin status. And I don't think he has that in this game, but I think this is his like first step into being the dragon of Dojima. Like he is going to be a paladin. He's going to try to make sure that this Yakuza clan doesn't get out of control. Oh, I, I have thoughts on him becoming the dragon of Dojima uh, very soon, but first I, I want to move on to the second one of these lieutenants, Awano. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Kuze reaches out to Kiryu in chapter one and tries to cut Kiryu a break. And uh, but but it would involve Kiryu giving up Kazama to uh, uh, to get information to Kuze, and Kiryu rejects him because he uh, because he you know uh, is one of Kazama's guys first and foremost. Kazama was his mentor, owned the orphanage where he grew up, etc. But a few chapters later, Kiryu uh, is negotiating with Awano, who is commanding a sect of Yakuza to hunt down Kiryu, and Awano is not the hard-boiled, tough-guy Yakuza that Kuze is. When uh, Kiryu meets Awano uh, outside of that initial meeting in Chapter 1, it's, I forget which, I think it's in Chapter 9, but it's at a disco club, and Awano is partying with a young woman and basically grinding on this young lady while he's negotiating with Kiryu and telling him that he lives... Uh, and he's a yakuza for the money and uh, and and you know and the fast cars and the nice clothes and all that. He like he he sort of is into the the vices surrounding what being a yakuza is. And he makes a similar offer to Kiryu. Hey, give yourself up, team up with me, get this empty lot together, and I'll take care of you. And Kiryu rejects him as well. And Iwano does not take this very well. Iwano uh, shoots the lady he was dancing with, which seems reckless. 
just saying that, and uh, and tries to bluff Kiryu, saying he has a dozen men outside ready to shoot him. Kiryu walks outside ready to fight. There's no one there. So I think that sort of communicates Iwano as definitely, definitely powerful, but also definitely deceptive. Uh, they mention that he's uh, that he is deeply involved in a lot of the. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, in terms of like collections and uh, what's the word? Extortion. 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 That's extortion. it. Yes. Yes. It yeah. Extortion. Yeah. Uh, the uh, they mentioned that Iwano is inv- involved in a lot of the Dojima family's extortion get rackets, and so he's definitely violent and powerful and deceptive, but maybe some of it's an illusion, because like like Iwano, Iwano tried to k- trick Kiryu to a degree, but Kiryu's extremely borderline borderline dumbness but extreme stubbornness allows allows him to sort of just to walk past it and um awano stays important like around the middle of the game it seems like he's the one who is in charge of tracking down kiryu but that uh that falls by the wayside a little bit uh shortly afterwards also awano like it's he's he's a very interesting character also Maybe, maybe, and maybe not. Besides um, Majima, he's probably got the boy, the best voice work in the game. Riki Takeuchi is really good. As I thought, Iwano, all, I, I thought all, I thought all three of the lieutenants had really, really good voice performances. Yeah, it, it, like, 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 like the way, uh, <laughs> the way Kuze raspily growls, "Kid you!" Oh, it's, it's, so it's pretty good. good. <laughs> Kid you! I, I love the. That's a little bit more Majima. I, I love the um the just kind of Awano's nicotine stained voice as he just kind of as he just rolls out his words. It just always sounds like there's this extreme amount of vocal fry, but it's not from wanting to talk quietly. It's just that he doesn't want to grace someone with the full extent of his voice in a way. He's really good. Yes, and uh, at the risk of jumping around the story timeline a little bit, I want to talk about the third uh, one of these lieutenants, Shibusawa. Uh, at the very beginning, when you see all of them in, at, in Chapter 1, he maybe seems like the least threatening one. Because he, he, he wears glasses, he's very buttoned up, he, he feels less, I don't know, less angry than the other two. I mean, he, he looks like sort of like a, I don't know, like a tall accountant or stockbroker or something. And and, it, and it's clear that he does a lot of the paperwork stuff, stuff, a lot of the money management stuff within the Dojima family. But around chapter thirteen to fifteen range, it's revealed that he had uh, been paying Oda under the uh, under the table to report on uh, t- uh, on Tachibana's real estate company. That he was the one who hired uh, Nishitani's guys in Sotenbori trying to hunt down Makoto because he had he had advanced intel on Makoto before the other two uh, lieutenants did. And when he nabs Makoto from under Kiryu's nose, that was also his information. So Shibusawa seems like the least threatening one, but by game's end, it's revealed that he cares more about the money and power of what Yakuza, of what being a yakuza is more than the others and is the sort of and is the surprise final boss of the game um yep. in, in in chapter 17 dur- during the final boss fight uh they do something which i think has to be a yakuza tradition because other otherwise it would be even sillier where uh both 
Kiryu and Shibusawa by putting a, a hand on their own shoulder and drawing it away. <laughs> they, they 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 remove every piece of a three piece suit and tie to, to be to go from like four layers to shirtless in a single mo- motion. You guys can't do that. It's no, you guys can't thing. do that. I can't. I, 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 I did it just now. I can't. I, did it just I, always, now. I can't do that with a t shirt. You know I, I try that with a t shirt and somehow it ends up on my leg. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. That's how you know you're a true yakuza if you can pull that move off. <laughs> just whip it off with one with one hand, then it's like all right. Oh, it's so good when but, they do it. But, uh, she, but Shibusa, I mean, he he tink, um he rips the shirt off, and suddenly he's he's old man ripped, like a like a you know like a former wrestler that comes back for the Royal Rumble, and he has like he has like a muscle gut from use of steroids fifteen years earlier or something. Um, like, like, I was gonna oh. say like Dick Van Dyke dancing in the newest uh, Mary Poppins movie, like <laughs> he still got it. <laughs> all the lieutenant, all the lieutenants are strangely jacked. And it's like yeah, no old, it's old like, man the, muscle. It just <laughs> looks weird. Like Shibusawa's, it's like okay, maybe I can get that. But Awano's, it just looks like they transplanted his head onto that body. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when that happens with Shibusawa, uh, Shibusawa tells Kiryu that his father was a politician who committed suicide in disgrace for something that his that uh, his father's boss did, and. Uh, and so he became a yakuza so that he could be the one in power and 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 make the moves while and and not be a disgrace like his father. Uh, in a way, I think that. Uh, oh, and also Shibusawa has a dragon tattoo on his back, and Kiryu has an unfinished dragon tattoo on his back. And Shibusawa even mentions, "I'm gonna come out of this ahead, and I'll be the dragon of Dojima." And we all know that Kiryu becomes quote unquote the dragon of Dojima. So. I think that these three men, these three lieutenants, represent three different pillars of what being a yakuza is. Like Kuze is the toughness and the code, and the whole you're gonna you're gonna knock me down, and I'm gonna get back up unless you shoot and kill me. And he keeps getting back up, and you fight him five times. Uh, and uh, Awano represents like the vice of being a yakuza, like like the the fame, the excesses, the uh, the, the you know sort of clothes, cars, women kind of thing, and. Uh, and Shibusawa represents the sort of money and power and control. Like the real strength of Yakuza is that they are controlling businesses and police and maybe even government. And those, like each of those three men, represent those one of those three pillars. And Kiryu, one by one, rejects them. Says he's not going to play be a Yakuza their way. He's going to be a Yakuza his way because his uh, because his idol is Kazama, the person who's working against all of them. And I think. The reason of that, and part of why this is this game is making Kiryu, is that all three of those guys lack empathy, and Kiryu absolutely can't do that. Absolutely will not do what these three men are ordering him to do, because that would mean either betraying Kazama or allowing uh, Makoto to die in the case of the uh, of the fight with Shibusawa at the end. And Kiryu's pillar of Yakuza dumb is family. Like I think Kiryu is staying with Kazama and doing the making the choices he makes because he's basically because he's a good person for one and and also because I think that the thing that he he was an orphan growing up in an orphanage and joining the yakuza in a way I think means like becoming the surrogate son of Kazama becoming a sworn brother of Nishikiyama and others and sort of being there for each other because Kiryu has empathy and wants family he can't be the kind of yakuza that Kuze Owano or Shibusawa is, and ends up be, going on this path to being a bizarro gangster paladin that we see in the in the other games in the series. So, in the way that 
Yakuza 0 is about making Kiryu. It's him rejecting these three men, defeating the dragon of Dojima, Shibusawa, and in, and almost inheriting the dragon label. And I, I also, I think their tattoos have to be symbolic in some way. Um, uh, like, uh, sort of one dragon defeating the other dragon is a big deal, obviously, in the Shibusawa fight. Um, Kuze's, uh, uh, Kuze's tattoo is, uh, is Enma, the, uh, who's like the judge of hell, who, uh, who, you know, throws sinners into hell and, and, and casts, uh, non-sinners into the heavens. And, uh, and Awano's is a Momotaro t- tattoo, and Momotaro is a fairy tale hero who achieves great fame and riches. And, uh, uh and it, I, I don't want to go into the symbolism of each tattoo, but also, um, Awano ends up fighting Majima in one of the late chapters, either 16 or 17. And, uh, Majima's tattoo is a Hanya, which is a kind of, a kind of demon. And famously, Momotaro defeats a, a, an ogre or a demon in his fairy tale. And I thought, I thought that, that, like, Momotaro fighting the ogre, but the ogre being the good char- the good guy in that fight was a, a nice little bit of imagery. But, yeah, like, uh, this game is sort of making Kiryu and making Majima and everything from the people that they fight and interact with to the tattoos on their backs tell the story alongside what's on the surface of the story. And I've been talking for, like, five straight minutes. I apologize. But uh, <laughs> I think that that's incredibly perceptive, and I think it's actually also a testament to how good the writing and characterization in this game is because you narrowed right into Kiryu's uh, longing for family, and that the Yakuza provide that, uh, Kazuma and uh, Nishiki. And it's interesting that you said it, because that's his guiding light throughout the entire series through uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, where he is always looking for family. He is always looking for those uh, he belongs with. And he often finds that. And, I mean, the tragedy of Kiryu is that he finds it, and then he continuously loses it. But yeah. Interesting you said about the tattoos, too. Do you think that everyone else has a tattoo that's well-defined and Kiryu is still figuring out who he is? And the fact that his tattoo is still uncolored, still empty, um, and obviously it's filled in by Yakuza 1. And, and same, same um, thing with Nishiki's uh, tattoo of carp on his back, his fish tattoo. Yeah, mm-hmm. we... So they can go any they can go any direction, and uh, by the end of the game, they kind of pick which direction they're heading. I think part of it is also just that they're both 20 years old and like, and those tattoos take a long time and multiple sessions to do. So like there's, so I'm just being like the, the simpleton about it, I guess, or of just being like time. But, um, it, especially with Nishiki having the, uh, the koi on his back and there being the story about, you know, the, the koi going up the waterfall to attempt to become the dragon. I think is really interesting for how he must see himself mm, right. um, next to Kiryu. Definitely, definitely. And I, you know, I think we kind of have to talk about Nishiki um, just because seeing him in this game and then eventually what he becomes in Yakuza 1, it, it's, I think that that's the part of the story that really resonated with me, and that's what was kind of fun about playing Yakuza 0 and then Yakuza 1. Was like, I got to see this character who, in Yakuza 1, and somebody will have to help me here because I didn't play the original version of Yakuza 1, are there still the Nishiki 
flashbacks in the original no. Yakuza one. Okay, so those were added for Kiwami. Mm. Yeah, they were added for Kiwami, and they they you know deepened his story and explained how he got to uh, okay. Because without becomes. those, I I think that it would almost be like you know, it, it's almost you know brother levels of Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> you know, just like okay, we hate each other, and that that's cool. <laughs> but like I I think that between Yakuza Zero and the flashback scenes in Yakuza One, you see this character who just like his tattoo. You guys pointed it out. He is trying desperately to reach something. But he's going to get there through very, very awful means, and they corrupt him, and they damn him in the end. We mentioned in the previous episode that uh, Nishikiyama is not a bad person necessarily, and him and Kiryu have strong brotherly feelings for each other, but Nishiki is not made of the same stuff Kiryu is. Like, like he is someone who would definitely break under pressure. And I, and I, I think I made the comment that... Uh, the the lieutenants made a mistake in trying to set Kiryu up as the patsy instead of Nishikiyama, because Nishikiyama totally would have bent to one of them. But uh, let I I want to change tracks again because we've been talking about this game this episode like Kiryu is the only main character, and that is not the case at all. <laughs> uh, uh, Majima in about half of the chapters up to seventeen is uh, is the hero of his own story. We mentioned at a previous episode he is sort of kept in prison by in Sotenbori. He's an extremely good club manager, uh, but really what he wants to do is get back into the Yakuza game. Although he he keeps being like held back from doing so, and uh, and uh, and at first his ticket to get back in is to kill Makoto, but he refuses to do that because I'm, he doesn't want to kill a blind woman. But similar to Kiryu, Majima runs into characters. That are either that he are either working with him or fi- or opposing him, and Majiba doesn't reject them in the same way Kiryu does, but they seem to. It's almost it's weird. They almost like all die around him because for a while Majima is uh, is collaborating with uh, this guy Lee, who is a uh, a Chinese immigrant, a former triad, who is Makoto's caretaker, and he's this big tattooed uh, muscular um, Chinese guy. And at, and at first, Majima fights him because he thinks that he that Lee is his target, and then realizes that no, uh, this is the guy protecting Makoto. He starts working with Lee, and and Lee is very smart, very uh, kind of a schemer, a very good fighter. He uh, he supports a lot of the uh, underground Chinese community in Sotenbori, which I thought was an interesting choice too. Like Osaka, is pretty famous for having. Uh, for being a large diaspora, there's there's a uh, there's a a large um, expatriate Korean community and a large expatriate Chinese community in Osaka. There's even like there's even movies about like Korean gangs in Osaka, the same way that you would think of New York Italians or Boston Irish. It's kind of crazy. Where you you brought up that like Kiryu rejects them, and yeah, it feels like Majima kind of he kind of takes on characteristics from yeah. those he's in opposition to especially lee and nishitani and i i, I want to talk about nishitani in a second but, but keep going joe yeah i mean he takes even from even from sagawa like there's in terms of you know towards the this is fast forwarding to the end of the game but there's this strange understanding um that occurs between sagawa and and majima even though sagawa has treated him terribly um but he's like he kind of just walks away and says you know i don't think i'll see you again but that's it but that's it but then with lee taking on kind of the protectiveness that lee feels for makoto 
and then and we'll go into Nishtani and what everything he's about but yeah um Lee is not he's not non-violent but because Lee's a fighter and a gangster and a killer and he tells Majima uh you're, you're not a killer not yet at least kind of but and um but and Lee ends up sort of dying in a car bomb in just a stroke of terrible luck but I think that Lee teaches Majima that there's a line you have to cross. And then one of the minor antagonists after Lee is Nishitani, this Yakuza gangster who works under... I think he works under Shimano, is that right? Or he was hired by Shimano, and he's in, I think he's in a different family, but he was hired by Shimano to, to pick up Makoto. Yeah, I think he's, or, 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 he's or, in the alliance. Or was it, was it Shibusawa that hired Nishitani? I you. I think it's Shibusawa. I think I think when Shibusana when Shibusawa found out about Makoto and hired a bunch of yakuza to pick her up, it was it was Nishitani's guys in Sotenbori. I think that, that, that that's my I think that's what it is. But yeah, anyway, Kich, the Kichin clan. Yeah. Yes. He's in the Kichin clan, which is a part of the Omi Alliance. Oh, so he, oh, so Nishitani's Omi and not and not uh, and not uh, Tojo. Got it. Tojo. Okay. <laughs> but 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 he was hired by Shibusawa, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shibusawa went outside the Tojo clan to work in Sotenbori. That, that, that makes sense. Okay, but anyway, Nishitana, not Nishitani is violent and is a bit of a pleasure seeker, kind of like Awano. But um, like he, he sort of crashes Majima's club. Majima fights him and kicks him out. Nishitani decides, oh, I love this Majima guy. He's completely wild. And, there's a, and fights him again in prison uh, because Majima seeks out not Nishitani to get information from him. But when you he meets Nishitani in prison that second time, he, he he has to fight Nishitani again. But Nishitani is fighting him less because he has to, and more because he like he wants to. And this, again, I haven't played other Yakuza games, but that at least echoes, or at least it feels similar to Majima's relationship with Kiryu many games later. Nishitani, that's a bullseye. Yeah, yeah. Nishitani fights Majima once, identifies Majima as a kindred spirit, and his relationship with uh, going onward is admiration bordering on love but the thing about nishitani is that he is a little insane but also under that definitely smart and a good fighter so he he's a a, a yakuza kind of like awano sort of a sort of this person surrounded in vice but is secretly a uh, like a, a smart manipulator and a good fighter and nishitani i really think nishitani feels a connection with majima and wants to like, like, he was ready to take Majima under his wing by the end of that scene in the prison. But he ends up getting betrayed by the prison guard he paid off, which I, who I think was also set up by Shibusawa, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure about that. So, again, Majima's relationship with Lee and his relationship with Nishitani are him... He sort of learns from both of them and, and gets things out of both of them, but they both die trying to help him. Which... I mean, again, jumping ahead a little bit, also kind of happens with Sagawa, like Joe mentioned, because Sagawa is killed off by the Omi Alliance for failing to secure the empty lot uh, seconds after he says goodbye to to Majima. And I kind of, I kind of thought about that with Sagawa. What do we, what do we think of him at the end of the game? Because you know, we we see what. Majima kind of thinks, and there's just this sort of grim acceptance, and I don't want to see you again, but I'm not gonna, you know, hunt you down or anything. I don't, I don't really know how to feel about him, um, which I found really interesting. I, mm, I don't think he's like Kuze in that he just gradually admires his charge more and more. It's more like, 
Saga was was trying to do his job, which was hunt down Makoto and keep Majima in check. Was getting increasingly frustrated when both of those things weren't working out how he wanted to. But then when he got close to it, and they have that meeting with Shimano, and Sagawa realizes that Shimano had been manipulating both him and Majima, because Shimano uh, locked Majima in there to sort of to, for Majima to prove his worth a little bit, but also set up Majima to kill Makoto, knowing he would fail, so that Makoto and Majima would develop trust with each other, which is you know not which Sagawa was not on on the same page with because Sagawa really thought he was supposed to kill M- Makoto but i think that after Majima and Sagawa get uh like learn about Shimano's plot and, and Sagawa is and Shimano are on different clans but they're sworn brothers so they're uh, so they they definitely trust each other and Majima was in Shimano's uh uh yakuza family but and, and so sort of Shimano sort of secretly knew that he had a really talented Yakuza in Majima, but was trying to put him through fire to, you know, to 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 build him up a little bit is my is my suspicion. But after Shimano tells both of them the plan, Sagawa realizes that he uh, that 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 Majima is sort of more special than just a dog kept in a cage, and uh, and is sort of willing to view Majima more like an equal and less like someone being punished. And by the end of the, by the end of the game, when Sagawa knows he's failed and knows Majima is on the rise, he sort of accepts it. Which is, I don't know how what to think of Sagawa. He goes from, uh, from villain to, to almost a mentor kind of character very quickly. Uh, yeah, it, it's strange. His, his death really like it. It was jarring for me in like an almost you know Scorsese departed moment of just like or uh or more maybe more kaji from evangelion it's like it just kind of happened and i was kind of reeling and i i still don't know what to think about it years later i i don't know what to think about that character and i think it's it's okay to have characters like that in fiction it's okay to have characters who you don't really know all their motivations you don't really know why they behave the way they do and then they're just gone and you know, for Majima, that's a part of his life that he's never going to really reconcile. It's a part of his life that's always going to be open. It's interesting, though, because I didn't—I never found the character to be particularly underwritten or deliberately underdeveloped. It just—he's a bit of an enigma. That's his character. Yeah. Yeah, I'm—I'm I'm not sure what to think of him either. Uh, and going back to what Joe was saying before, uh, as Majima is developing, he sees people die all around him, and. If if Kiryu sort of his development culminates in him teaming up with his bro- with his sworn brothers and and taking out Shibusawa, Majima's develop development culminates in him kind of snapping. Like uh, after Shimano tells him of that plan, and Majima, who has feelings for Makoto, I don't know how strongly romantic or how strongly uh, protective they are, but they're they are he has feelings. Majima really realized that he was partially partially manipulated into having those feelings. So for a a, a a chunk of the game, I guess somewhere in chapter fifteen or sixteen, Majima just sort of doesn't know how to react. He he just he walks through the street and just three random uh, hooligans beat him up, and he's just lets them lets them beat him up. Uh, and after he finds Makoto again and spends a little bit of time with her, only for her to get captured by the Dojima again, Majima just snaps. Like I think he thinks about being manipulated. 
and Nishitani and his uh, his fights with Nishitani and Nishitani's death, his his fights with Lee and then Lee's death, and what might happen to Makoto. And he completely loses his mind, beats up a ton of Dojima people, and then storms Dojima, Dojima headquarters with uh, like ready for blood. And it, it's it, it, if Kiryu sort of ends going ends up going through Yakuza Zero as this uh, crime paladin, Majima sort of ends up going through it as a bit of a I don't know like a, a, like a wild card gangster who is unpredictable, a, a little crazy, but ex- but still very smart and capable not, not not like wild and dumb just wild and dangerous he's chaotic good yeah uh, i i i think a lot of majima is an act and i think he does it so that he can kind of do his own thing and i'm getting a sense for that in yakuza 1 2 and 3 where he is far more in control than he would want you to believe i think that Part of his whole snapping in Yakuza 0 is him creating this guise, this facade that is going to allow him to act out in ways that he wouldn't be able to in those Yakuza families. I, I think Majima is very much in control of what he's doing. Kiryu remains true to who he is at all times because I don't think Kiryu could fake something being other than Kiryu if he tried. But Majima is puts up this mad dog personality i think partially to to be a better yakuza like if if majima deep down is this sensitive soul who doesn't want to kill and has feelings for makoto but outwardly he project, he projects maybe this wild this wild dog personality to make people fear him more or even uh or or, or even just t- take him more seriously and so the, and uh and l- l- like the the, the the beaten down Majima that was managing the Grand isn't allowed to be a Yakuza again, but uh, but Majima the Mad Dog of Shimano is a respected and feared Yakuza, so he has to be the Mad Dog of Shimano. I I I think Majima should have killed Lao Gui because that boss fight was absolutely infuriating. I thought I thought he was <laughs> going to kill Lao Gui. My, my whole my whole feeling was, oh, Kiryu will not cross the line and Majima will, but then Majima didn't, which makes me reconsider his whole arc. And and honestly, uh, may, I don't know how controversial this will be. I didn't think any of the final fights were that challenging, but that's but I had sort of figured out strategies that I liked with each of those characters. The f- hardest fight for me by far was one of the damn bosses of the real estate storyline. Um, uh, oh, Media King? Yeah, Media King. You fight Media King, who's a, who's a Rush-style, fast, evasive character, and he has five or six goons with him. So it's really hard to get a bead on anyone, especially with Media King darting around like a, like a mayfly. Mm. And but uh but and I ended up using all of the items I had like I had some I had like a crowbar and a katana and, and some a few other things and, and oh and you fight him in an empty room an empty parking lot with no items around so you can't beast style and item smash like I like I did many times in many other boss fights but uh like after that and I ha- and I get the legend the legend of uh, the legend style of uh, of Kiryu none of the other b- boss fights were as difficult but, but mostly because i just had a stupid amount of money in carrier like his uh after after i beat the real estate storyline every carrier fight was trivialized yeah that's how that's how it was for me with uh with majima's stuff because i didn't you know finish the real estate but i did finish uh cabaret club so mm-hmm. i just used the uh so i just used the the mad dog style or 
I think that was what it was called, um, to just hack and slash through everything, basically. I'm glad you're all smarter than me and you finished those mini-games because uh, I don't want to say that the the last boss fight in the game with Kiryu wasn't terrible, but I was getting very frustrated. Laogui was no fun. I, I mentioned in the previous podcast that I never really jived with Majima's style. I just didn't. I, I don't know why, but I just never felt confident playing as him, so the Laogui fight was terrible. And then, can we just give it up for the, the bastards with guns and rocket launchers oh, on that Oh my god, boat? what was that? Yeah. No, it, it, what is that you, part of the I, game? I had, to, I, had to, I had to turn the game into a cover shooter. I had to go around the around the side where the, oh. where, where, the, where like doors jut out and after they shot and reload I had, to, I had to run around and just go like one door closer to them and then and then try to hit them both at the same time with a beast swing or something it they whenever someone has a gun in this game you have to isolate them and take them out and it is so annoying if they're if there's a large crowd stopping you from getting to them or if there's two people with guns it uh, it I, I used so many of my healing items just dealing with that haul of guns on the boat but but well, the Shiba, but the Shibasawa fight that was I mean that was epic. He switched between three different styles just like Kiryu did, and uh, and and like and then it culminates with some really dramatic uh, quick time events. I'm revising my old rule that the only games that are allowed to have QTEs are Resident Evil 4 and God of War. Now now I'm adding Yakuza Zero because the, the the quick time events in this game are pretty cool. Yeah, the the thing on the boat, which like it's a side thing, it does it doesn't really matter. Why the heck was it that getting shot in the arm does more damage than Kir- than Kiryu taking a rocket to the face? Okay, da- like, damage what? in video damage in video <laughs> games has never made sense ever. Sure. My, my my favorite example of this is in uh in the Soul Calibur games, um every character has a throw damage stat, right? Some characters mm-hmm. deal a lot of damage with throws, some characters don't. So Cervantes has low throw damage, and Sungmina has, th- has high throw damage. So Cervantes sticking two swords into someone and then ripping them out their sides deals about half of the damage of Sungmina tripping someone over her foot. So, yeah. That, that's, Fair. So, that's video game logic. Yeah, yeah. Video that's... game damage never makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, True. and then the you, you brought it up earlier, but the the section of the game where Kiryu is just gunning people down in the car that just went on way too long. Yeah, like yeah, I, you, there's I, like thirty I, targets you have to take out. That that's like the end of Final Fantasy VII remake, where I'm just like, can this section please end? Nothing about this is fun. This is terrible. I, please stop. I didn't have to repeat any of it. I, I guess I got lucky. But I did not enjoy it. I I wanted to get back to punching people instead of shooting people immediately after that was over. Yeah, I have a very low threshold for when a game just completely changes its core mechanics or asks you to do something that you you haven't done for any other part of the game. I I have a very low threshold of getting pissed off with that. And Yakuza 0, like, I I wasn't failing any of it. I was just annoyed by it. Like, this is going on too long. Like, if this was a three-minute thing, okay, over and done with, moving on. But it was like, it just kept going and going. And I'm like, how many people is Kiryu going to shoot? And as many as it takes. And after that, after that scene is when is when uh, Shibusawa kills Oda, which is early on in Shibusawa's rise to being the main villain of the game, uh, and and also the reveal that Oda is the person that tortured uh, Makoto and caused her to lose her eyesight because he because before he met uh, Nishi, uh, uh, before he met Tachibana. Tachibana, yes, before Oda met Tachibana. He was doing just bad gang stuff in in uh, in Sotenbori, which included um, capturing women and selling them off to, uh, to 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 slavers or, or brothels. 
But uh, Oda is the bat person with a bat tattoo that uh, that Makoto was looking for. Early on, you think that it, Tachibana might be that person because he also has a bat, bat tattoo, but everyone in, in Oda's old gang did. And you see Makoto take a sword out of her cane and stab uh, Oda in the leg. And then, uh, which makes me, made me think very highly of Makoto. And then a few chapters later, Makoto demands that Dojima kill his three lieutenants in, as her price for the lot, which made me think much less of Makoto, because that was the, that was one of the dumbest moves I've ever, and one of the dumbest decisions anyone makes in this game. <laughs> uh, so, like, Makoto, she is a scared damsel in distress for a lot of the game. Uh, you're very, very sympathetic to her plight because she uh, is only trying to stay out of trouble and she's blind and helpless. When you're informed that uh, Tachibana is her brother and she is the uh, she is half Chinese and em- immigrated to Japan from China to look for her brother, you're, you really want to see them get together. But then Makoto, uh, when Tachibana is killed in the torture room and Kiryu brings Tachibana's corse- corpse to Makoto... Uh, she takes his character turn, decides she wants revenge. You, she goes on a sort of a last last date with with Majima, and then you see the scene with her demanding uh, the heads of the three lieutenants. Does not work out for her, but Makoto's journey here. I, I, I'm not sure if I like her character because because I, I I wanted to protect her. The game that the game made that very clear, and I was on board. But then she just makes a couple bad decisions in a row, and by the end of the game, I'm like, look, I'm really sorry about your brother, but you, you what, what are you even doing, homegirl? I bought it, personally. I mean, I think that at that moment, she breaks, not unlike Majima, actually, and most of her decision-making from that point is made from a position of trauma, uh, which, is, which is not usually the place where the best decisions are made. Um, I think she has something that she knows that Ma- that uh, Dojima wants, and I think she thinks she has leverage, uh, and she just makes a mistake. Also, I think she might be slightly suicidal at that point. Um, mm. And if this doesn't work out, I don't think she particularly cares. I think she might, like, I might be wrong, but the way I interpret it is she would almost be fine with it being over no matter how it turns out. Yeah, um, Majima tells her, I think on the date or maybe a little bit earlier, that there's uh, uh, the famous Confucianism, uh, con- con- sorry, the famous Confucius saying, uh, "Before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves." Like I think she decides that out of revenge for her brother, she's going to, she's willing to sacrifice her life. But it just goes so poorly. <laughs> but um, Sarah's group is, a- is able to save her life. I don't know if we've mentioned him yet. Sarah is the head of a segment within the Dojima family, and he's a close ally of Kazama. But so like Sarah is able to save Makoto, Makoto's life uh, by uh, taking her to a hospital after uh, she's presumed dead. I mean, I was sympathetic to her the whole time, but I, I wish you... They never gave her agency ever when she is the central prize to be won almost through most of the story. And I find that a little frustrating and annoying. Like, like, like I, I don't like... Is there a well-written female character in this game other than Reyna, who is perfect and I won't hear anything else to the contrary? I- I think you need to go further and say, is there a well-written character in the Yakuza games? <laughs> Yuki. And, 
and 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 look, I I I love my masculine stuff. I, I'm a white heterosexual dude. I love people punching stuff. You know, Dragon Ball Z is high up on my chain. Oh yeah, like like, like I like one of those good. <laughs> I like one of those good uh, like Yakuza stories or like juvenile delinquents in a Japanese manga stories where yeah, where, love it. Yeah, where, love where like that like, stuff. like they they exchange fists, but really they're just they're just clashing with ideals, <laughs> and. Uh, I I don't know like um the writing in this game I think it's consistently entertaining I I don't know how many of these characters are are well rounded or even good but I found Makoto unusually frustrating for having no agency at all. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll let our other two podcasters comment on that because I'm only coming from a place of having played quite a few of these games and I I can't I I guess what's her face from Yakuza Two is somewhere on the spectrum of a good female character but. Is that is that the one with the whack collar? Yes, yes. She, she and she uh, she's running around in high heels, and you you punch people with her and cure you a couple of times. She's I I I, I mean it. She's on the spectrum of approaching a good character. Well, okay, look, not necess- not necessarily there. Reina finds Reina the bar lady in Yakuza Zero finds Kiryu all beat up in one of the middle chapters. I don't remember. Takes him back to her bar, and he tells her. I'm sorry for dragging you into this. And he, and she says, clean yourself up. That's the last time you're ever going to tell me sorry for anything. And I'm like, mother figure. And, 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 I, and I'm like, yeah, like excellent big sister mother figure with some awesome 80s shoulder pads dress, uh, uh, like lady suit on. I, I, I liked her, but I, I won't, I, I'll, I mean, I mean, I, I liked her for a couple lines of dialogue she had. Uh, I'm not going to call her a great character, but the, the writing in this game was consistently entertaining. I just found a couple points really frustrating, like like everything Makoto does in the last part of the story, and Kiryu rejoining the Dojima clan after after like being hunted down by them for probably weeks in game time. Yeah, and and Majima's feelings about Makoto too. I I I, I wasn't I wasn't really feeling it in terms of the um, they kind of seem to be saying that he's that he loves her and that he. Um, you know, care so deeply about her, and and I, I just didn't really buy that. I bought that he cared a lot for her, yes. but I didn't buy that there was um, the sort of romantic thing that he felt about her that Shimano had implied. Um, and maybe he wasn't feeling that at all, and that was just, like, Shimano being a bit wrong about it. I don't know. And partially, it's that I, I'm definitely putting my bias of, like, Majima's gay and uh, Majima's gay and ace, and that's all I want to hear about it. Um. I well, I, I think you're basically right that uh, that Majima has some feelings for Makoto, but I don't think he even knows what they are. Like, like there's, mm. it, it, it's it's he definitely wanted to protect her. I don't know if his feelings were romantic at all, but when he hears Shimano mentioned that he was planning for Makoto and Majima to fall in love with each other. Uh, Majima's like, really? And he, he does, Majima doesn't know what his feelings are, but he feels that they may, they might be false or, or, uh, or, or, or manipulated. And that, that's what makes him fall into a depression for about a chapter. So, so uh, like, I agree that Majima, Majima's feelings are not romantic or maybe just a weird mix with just a, a, a few splish splashes of romance in there. I'm, I'm, I, I need to play more games before I decide if I have an opinion on what his sexuality is, but I, I don't think he had rom- romantic feelings for, Mako- for Makoto. I mean, from my perspective, I played all of them. Um, 
from my perspective, I think that Majima is Kiryu uh, sexual. Kiryu sexual. Yes, that's exactly what that's exactly what Majima oh is. God. But also, I mean, it's revealed in Go later on. games. He is. <laughs> I mean, technically speaking, he. I think he is not in, not canonically, I guess, because they never say it. But I mean, it, it reads to me as he is bisexual. Uh, he is a he is a ace. Um, I don't think he's driven by sex at any point. That's just not his character. In fact, that's something he has in common with Kiryu. Uh, <laughs> Kiryu seems to be more interested in. I guess masturbation in this game and in future ones. Um, but I think I think that that's something that we should talk about later in it. But I wanted to I just wanted to bring up uh, female characters in Yakuza because that was an interesting topic to me. I, I I think that the writing of female characters starts to get better. I personally think that Haruka, who you haven't met yet, uh, is a beautifully developed character who develops. Uh, logically and into a tremendously compelling character in yakuza 5 and then they just i mean i don't know how you feel about this rob oh, but they yeah. they just character assassinate the hell out of her in yakuza 6 what, uh, what, do you, what do you call the opposite of fridging someone but it's still doing the exact same thing pretty much um yeah <laughs> but micro, also micro, uh, microwaving someone <laughs> microwaving someone yeah. you know what it, it, if well, bun in the oven. Yeah, yeah. No, that works. That works. <laughs> bun in the oven. Oh, bun in no. the oven. Oh, not I don't only know that, exact, bun in the oven. I don't know also... exactly the context around that comment, but I'm I'm worried. I'm concerned. Bun in the oven it, and also it's... reheated storyline. Oh, hell. Oh, it's rough. It's anyway, rough. Yeah, it's rough, and it's, it's very... That game was tremendously frustrating to me because of what happens, but uh, up to that point, I think she's a tremendously well-written character. Her mentor in Yakuza 5... Uh, um, Park is another very, very well-written female character. I will be fascinated to see what happens in Yakuza 7 because you actually have a uh, female character as part of the party for one of the first times in Yakuza history. Is she a, dom- is she a dominatrix? I feel like she's probably a dominatrix. She can take but on the she... job of the dominatrix, right? But, yes. co- but how confident <laughs> is she in her dominatrix abilities? Because that's important in Yakuza 0. Look, finding one's dom voice is a difficult task, all right? And, it, you know... D- 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 uh... I'm still searching for mine personally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that I side sub story, but not because it's about. I just think the most unlikely person in the entire world who you would want to ask that question to help me become a better dom is Kiryu. Yeah, no, that yeah, that's yeah. I I enjoyed that side quest because it gave me an an above average uh, financial advisor character for my for my real estate company. So I I, I think we need to pivot a little bit. Um, I the cabaret club side quest which uh, is the biggest side quest in the Majima half of the story. Uh, I, only, I only cleared out the first two enemy clubs, uh, uh, I think Mars and Jupiter, to, to, two of my favorite uh, Sailor Scouts, in fact. But uh, <laughs> Really? Mars? Yeah, I liked Mars and Jupiter. They, 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 like they, were, the, they were the tough, cool girls. I'm down with Jupiter. I mean, she's wearing Doc Martens. I'm, I'm down with her, but, like, Mars? Really? Yeah, I she, like Mars too. Yeah, I had a she, crush on Mars. Yeah, she was mad. I don't. I don't know which one I had a crush on. Probably Mars or Jupiter. But, 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 but the. Uh, but but anyway. So those. Um. I only did. I guess the first forty percent of the Cabaret Club Czar uh, quest. But um, like with if Real Estate Royale, the story thrust was defeating evil landlords and making the town a better place to live in again. Um, the Cabaret Club side quest. And again, maybe I'm not a hundred percent on target with this. Is about you know exploring this burgeoning kind of business, ca- cabaret clubs, which are basically predecessors to modern hostess, hostess bars, 
but also rescuing women from bad club owners that were maybe exploitative or bad is is part of it and uh and so like when you were doing this business you were trying to be a good club owner and trying to be there for your girls because because that's what majima does but also it felt like you were rescuing a, a new woman from each evil club <laughs> by the end but at least at least in the two that i that i did is that is that fair or is it a little bit better than a little bit more complicated than that uh joe you've played through it early uh sooner than i have or more recently than i have do you want to yeah i'd say i'd say that's pretty fair um yeah, it's got some weird, it's got some weird uh, gender politics to it, of course. Um, and I don't necessarily mean weird in a negative way, just complicated <laughs> in terms of um, the agency that the characters have. And it's it's difficult it's difficult to say in the the story payoff in terms of um, you know when you when you work through all of it, the reward is basically just you know if you like the gameplay of it and getting to know the girls in the club um because they're i think they're really nice characters um it's fun getting to it's fun getting to know them more i do wish it was a bit less like oh you are the one who's saving me and i'm going to flirt with you and i just think that you are the greatest thing ever majima because especially with it being in first person i was like i don't I don't want this. I don't. Yeah. I don't need this at all. <laughs> it was weird that, I, that that the inter the interviews were almost like one sided, uh, like dialogue from a uh, from a dating sim game, but with them praising him instead of you trying to make a connection with them. It, it was like a weird reverse dating sim game that that was totally odd. Yeah, I I. I... I can't stand that stuff. Like it's it's one of the reasons why, and I know Solosi's yelling at me for falling off this, but like I fell off of Persona Five oh, sure. because I just I just don't like those like you know I like ice cream. I also like ice cream. I hate you. Like I just I I hate those kinds of responses in video. Oh yeah, games. Well, but like, Persona Five I, is a hundred damn hours, and the, a lot of the dialogue was gamified. I I don't um I I I have my even though I'm a Persona obsessive sometimes I have my issues with the series. Yeah, and and I that I didn't get very far in the cabaret club at all because I just found it tedious, and I think that just seeing the rapid expansion of the um, the real estate mini game, even though it's a lot less involved, I think that I gravitated toward that. Whereas the cabaret club, I just felt like I was kind of wasting time, and I I, it, I just didn't find it very fulfilling. I liked both of them, to be honest. I think that the real estate mini game, I think they both fulfilled different kind of i guess instincts oh, sure, of the game yeah. uh for me i think again it's been a while since i've played the whole thing i refreshed my memory but i feel like uh the uh the hostesses got more agency as you get into the higher level clubs um but even then you're right it's the the dating mechanics are a little bit eesh. but then again the dating mechanics in yakuza in general are always a little bit like that i i i admit i kind of liked taking uh, in the cure you have, uh, I kind of liked going out for karaoke and playing darts with uh, with a girl I had met in in the phone club. I thought that that was sort of just cute and innocent. Oh, do you want to play darts alone, or do you want to call a girl and go on a date and go on a darts date? Like I thought that I thought hey, I thought that cousin. was I thought I thought that was okay. But the, the weird 
Um, the, the stuff with the women in this game, like like the 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 cat fight club is is awful. The date phone yep. dating mini game is awful. The uh, softcore porn videos are so awful that they made me a, a little Cringe. upset. Oh my god! So Did you I, just want better quality porn? Is that what that was? If or? I if I want porn, I will be able to find porn without any difficulty at all. Like, why did they have why did they have softcore FMV porn in a in a video game and you and you unlock them like quest rewards? It it was it was <laughs> folks, so dumb. I was folks. You are aware that all of the hostesses in this game are Japanese AV idols, right? Um, I believe, okay, um, I, I remember reading this when this game was coming out. I don't think that's exactly the case. I think most of them are actresses. Yuki, Yuki is the only one who is, as I understand it, not an AV actress. Um, and if you want stuff that's not softcore, um, well... Well, okay, I mean, I, I'm not, okay, this is gonna, this is gonna go a real weird place, and I apologize in advance. Um, there we yeah, go. Uh, Japanese, fly. like, softcore videos like that... And Japanese AV idols appearing in normal media is something I'm very familiar with already because I watch Japanese Power Rangers. They they have had for, um, adult film actresses appear as like as like villains on children's superhero shows at least four times that I know of. It's a very different cultural <laughs> it, context. It, 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 it is, and but also like um, I, there there are these things that are I don't I don't know what the right word for them is like I I'm calling them softcore videos but like like there are Japanese talents because they use talent as a generic term for someone that's that's an actor singer dancer whatever there are talents who just release a bikini video or a posing around on a bed video just for something in their portfolio like I I, I, lit I literally remember googling all of the actors in a super sentai show i like and the yellow ranger had like three of these videos published because she's uh because she was a popular you know bikini actress for a year or something and so it's like, so like having an actress who is not even an adult, an adult film actress film something like that is something that happens but i just like i don't know why they needed this needed it in this game it's 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 stupid and and yeah i i have seen Entire seasons of a Japanese children's show with an adult film actress as one of the bad guys. I don't disagree with you, Salosi. I think that it's the the addition of the let's just call it softcore porn because what else? Yeah, no, it's it's, it's totally it? like it's, like like Skinamax at a, at, at two a.m. in nineteen ninety five. It's weird, and I felt the same way. I think it's in my review of Yakuza Kiwame actually when you when you uh, date a girl from the uh, hostess bars in there and you eventually. You do their sub story. You do get a, another little softcore uh, video of them, and it was just the first time I saw that. I was taken aback, to put it mildly. It was just an awkward kind of thing, and I, I just cocked it up to cultural differences. Yeah, I, I discovered that all because I could I, chalk it up to. I discovered that because when I was in the early stages of doing the uh, cabaret club quest, um, one of the properties that can sponsor you is the is the porn store. So I, mm -hmm. I go into the and so I see it on the list of businesses, and I go there. And I, uh, it says, hey, do you want to watch a video? Here's the ones you have. And it's not a complete list. I think at the time there was only maybe eight women on it. But it was they were people whose names were like friends I had made in sub-stories. So, so it's, it's like just by completing sub-stories or meeting women in this game, you unlock softcore porn videos of them. And it's just why? I, why? 
I, I was annoyed that I had to interact with that part of the game at all. Uh, it's maybe, I, I don't know if it's better or worse than Cat Fight Club, which I, which I also hate. Cat Fight Club is just terrible. I agree with you 100%. I mean, the, yeah. thing with, the thing with mechanics like that, like let's just take Cat Fight, for example. If there is, if it's fun or there's any kind of redeeming quality gameplay-wise, I can sometimes forgive that. But in the case of Cat Fight Club, it's boring. It's yeah. useless. It's just like I, I did it once and I was like, oh, this is terrible. And then I had to do it with the real estate quest. But yeah, it, it just doesn't need to be there. It doesn't even feel like filler. It's just kind of strange things sitting on the outside of the game. Basically, in uh, in Sotenbori, um, that was the, the, um, the soft horror shop was the only sponsorship I didn't do. And I had... <laughs> And I had and I had uh, messaged Jonah. I was like, "Hey, uh, dude, <laughs> I need to do this because I really don't want to do this." And he's like, "No, nah, you can like still finish the cabaret club without getting that sponsorship." So that is the only one in all of Sotenbori that does not sponsor Sunshine. <laughs> there's a little. There's kind of a neat sub story that comes out of getting making friends with the the clerk there, but it's not worth it. All right, now. There's one more character we haven't really talked enough about that I want to bring up, and that is Kazama. Mm-hmm. He hangs over this whole story. He's Kiryu's mentor. You don't actually see him in person until until uh, one of the game's like eighty cutscenes at the end. But like every single thing that you do, it almost feels like you learn two scenes later. Ah, this is exactly what Kazama how Kazama said it would go. Because um, we were mentioning that like he wanted to uh, to limit uh, Sohei Dojima. It's like Kazama wants the best for his Yakuza crew. He knows that Dojima is dangerously incompetent, so he is holding up this uh, redevelopment in hopes of someone besides Dojima um, getting the credit for it. Because he doesn't want Dojima to become the next head of the to- of the Tojo clan. So Kazama. His three big pawns in this game are Kiryu, Tachibana, and Sarah. He wants to make Sarah the next chairman and have him take credit for the empty lot. He wants Tachibana to basically be successful and reunite with his sister, but it doesn't work out for him that way. And he wants Kiryu to probably quit the Yakuza because he doesn't think Kiryu... He thinks Kiryu is almost like too good a person or like he doesn't want Kiryu to be about that life. So he... He does actions that would make Kiryu want to quit, but against Kazama's wishes, Kiryu ends up rejoining the Yakuza and gets deeper into this than uh, than Kazuma would have preferred. And also against Kazuma, Kazuma's wishes, Tachibana uh, dies before he's able to reunite with his sister. Because I, I think I think Kazama was really rooting and su- rooting for and supporting Tachibana, and and uh, and it was just Laogui's interference and bad luck that made Tachibana die. But the way that they portray Kazama as this almost omniscient manipulator who is a a brilliant strategist outmaneuvering everyone in a way that i almost found annoying it's like man it's like like really this this kazama mofo is is it has been in control the whole time but then at, at the end where kiryu like meets kazama and i re- and i realize that kazama didn't get everything he wanted and is disappointed that kiryu is going to be a yakuza again i i felt a little better about it but i mean kazama is I mean, I don't like using the words Mary Sue or Gary Stu, but if there's one character that's a little bit too good and too successful, it's probably Kazama. I mean, he is this sort of commanding force uh, across the entire game, 
And it does get a bit annoying when it's like, you thought it was blank, but it was me, Kazama. <laughs> like, um, he's, he's, he's still a decent character as, as um, you see later in Kiwami and a very important one in Kiryu's life but, um, and Nishiki's life. But yeah, he does get a bit annoying in this game. <laughs> Just like, can you stop thinking for a second? I kind of viewed him as I mean he's he's obviously the surrogate father figure and he's he's what Kiryu's holding himself up to be and part of the experience of growing up is when you realize that your father is not Superman um, and I, I, later on in the stories we find out that Kazama is not perfect that he has made mistakes that he's actually atoning for a sin that he committed in his youth and so I agree. I think in this game it's a little saccharine and annoying with him because he is so perfect. But part of growing up is when you realize that your father is not perfect. And I, I think that that plays out very well in later games. But yeah, in this game it was kind of like over and over again, wow, this this dude's just freaking perfect, isn't he? And I, in the back of my head the whole time I'm going, eh, we're going to find out something about him. Hmm. I can't disagree with that. I mean, the character isn't really there it's just his plans and his schemes and you're just kind of a rat running around the maze and it's it's not exactly the most engaging kind of uh character to play to uh i guess you, you actually don't interact with him really do you no uh, no you only there's a you hear part of a conversation that kiryu has with him in prison after the game's over and uh, like, I, I found kazuma's omniscience annoying but a little satisfying that his plan didn't go how like Kazuma's ideal scenario was that Tachibana and and Kiryu are done with Yakuza and running a successful real estate business while Sarah becomes the next next chairman and only one out of his three ideal scenarios played out and it, so uh, like when Kiryu is talking to Ko Kazama and telling either telling him that he's back with the Dojima or is going to be I think and, and that Tachibana is dead I think Kazuma is really sad so, which is yeah an appropriate ending for it but in the but you know as the game was going on and i and i hear some ah just as planned kazama that i found that irritating i mean i was sad when tishibana died i was oh yeah it's a great great moment in the game yeah, that, that that's that, that i don't know that that's the death that i was saddened the most about definitely more so than oda or even nishitani and i and i, and I went from hating nishitani to to liking nishitani almost did a total 180 on him over his over his arc but for Tachibana's motivations to only be uh, seeing his sister before he dies because he's suffering from kidney failure and has a, and one of his and uh, one of his arms is dead from an injury like and but is he, but he's a brilliant uh, uh, re real estate businessman and, and mentoring Kiryu like you are meant you you are meant to sympathize and like Tachibana but only for for him to die minutes before getting what he really wants uh, is really tragic. It's tragic, and I think it's a nice story beat. There's a certain, this sounds weird, there's a certain satisfaction in not being satisfied in certain uh, narrative constructs. And the fact that he and his sister will never get to be together almost makes it more compelling. Yeah, no, no, no. Sometimes, uh, sometimes a tragic ending is more satisfying than a happy ending. And, uh, and sometimes we want, we want to see expectations fulfilled, and sometimes we get, it's more satisfying to have expectations subverted in a clever way. And with this, I don't know if I expected um, Tachibana and Makoto to reunite, but for them to just miss each other, almost like, 
I don't know, in like in like in like Romeo plus Juliet, uh, uh, the, the two the two actors like gazing into each other's eyes before uh, before Leonardo DiCaprio dies. Like, there there there's like a, a well a beautiful tragic plot point can be good, and I thought like the Pixar movie Inside Out. Yeah, sometimes you need sadness in your life, and it was this was it was a sad moment, but I thought it was well done. Yakuza games like the bittersweet ending, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and when they do, usually have a happy ending. They're usually not tremendously good. Yeah, it's like I don't think there's necessarily a happy ending to Yakuza Zero. I'm sure that both Kiryu and and Majima wish things had played out differently. But even though both of them sort of get what they want like uh like um kiryu is uh is a is a rising yakuza and majima gets to be a yakuza again which is sort of what they both wanted but they they're but so much tragedy happened along the along the way and they had disappointments within their journeys so that like there it's not a totally happy ending it's like it's like we it's like i'm i am in a better position now than what i than several weeks ago when the story started but at what cost and we're back. I apologize, listeners, but after some technical difficulties, we had to excise the last few minutes of the recording, and I'm going to replace it with this ending bit here. Uh, so thanks for joining us for two weeks on two episodes on Yakuza 0. I had a lot of fun playing my first Yakuza game. Slightly worried it might awaken a new obsession in me, but uh, nothing's guaranteed. I certainly enjoyed uh, my first Yakuza experience, though. Uh, but next week, we are doing another RPG Villains episode on Pokey Minch from Earthbound and Mother 3. We had a lot to talk about him uh, during the Mother 3 episodes last month, but uh, we're going to go even deeper into the awful kid next door next week in a new RPG Villains. Uh, also in July, we're doing uh, an episode all about Trials of Mana, the uh, game that we talked about last year in July also, but this time in the context of its new 2020 remake. Um, I had a lot of fun with the remake. I finished it recently, so uh, that's going to be an episode in the next two or three weeks. I'm not exactly sure when yet. And also we're doing an episode that's going to be a sort of an icebreaker parlor game kind of episode that will allow listeners to perhaps get to know us a little better here on Retro Encounter. Also in July, we're doing two episodes on Tactics Ogre, Let Us Cling Together, the Super Famicom strategy RPG by the Quest team that eventually made Final Fantasy Tactics and Vagrant Story. Um, that game received a port for the PlayStation and a pretty extensive remake on the PSP, and I'm pretty sure everyone on that podcast is going to be playing the PSP version. Uh, but after Tactics Ogre Let Us Clean Together, we are doing episode... Um, I won't say what what everything in August is yet, but episode 250 of our show encounter is going to be in August or pro- perhaps early September. So for that episode, like we mentioned at the top of the show... Please send in emails to retro at rpgfan.com. We will read any uh, emails we can on the air, and uh, we will be choosing a selection from those emails to be one of our Retro Encounter main uh, games of the month later this year, probably December. So again, the email is retro at rpgfan.com. Send us any questions you like, but especially recommendations for games to play on the podcast. And uh, speaking of rpgfan.com, you can also comment on our message boards, visit our Facebook page, our Instagram page, our Twitter page, which is rpgfan.com, also our Discord server, and a Twitch channel with something streaming every day. rpgfan also has three other podcasts, Random Encounter about uh, randomness, Jono is one of its hosts, Rhythm Encounter about RPG music, which is is possibly coming back later this year. I can't say 
I can't say with 100% certainty, but there are there are plans happening with Rhythm Encounter that's mostly hosted by Mike Salvato, and also Phoenix Edge, which is a weekly podcast that mostly focuses on current events. All three of those podcasts are linked, plus Retro Encounter, are linked on the RPG Fan main page. Uh, you can also review Retro Encounter or those other podcasts on iTunes or Google Play or however you were listening to us. Please provide whatever feedback you are willing to provide. But how can you, the listeners, uh, reach out to us, the panelists, more directly? Uh, so let's share some social media information, starting with you, Jono. Uh, you can hear me every two weeks on uh, Random. Uh, if you have any questions you'd like on the show, just send us an email from there. Or you can see, get me at, uh, John, at Logan on Twitter. Thanks, Jono. And Joe, your turn. So you can find me um, as one of the social media people for Facebook and Twitter for RPG Fan, and you can find me personally um, as e- at Eva Least on uh, Twitter, on uh, Discord, and on Instagram. And you'll hear me on quite a bit of retro. I hope uh, Solosi doesn't get sick of me. <laughs> and Rob, you can't. <laughs> right on, Rob. <laughs> And uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter most of the time as at the real monsoon. Other times as at Evoker for Dogs. I'm also Monsoon Mike on RPG Fans Discord. So uh, I, I I had so much fun playing Yakuza Zero uh, over the past I don't know three weeks or a month. Uh, it, it was this is just there's so much game in this video game that I I was consistently surprised with every new thing I discovered. Uh, It's a good one. Thank you. Good night and good luck. Mm